And I'm going to ask if you will look with me to Ephesians chapter number 1. That's where I want, to, I want us to begin today. I love the opening words of the book of Ephesians. And uh, I want us to begin there. As you find your place there, let me just kind of notify the prayer team here at the 830 service. I've kind of given you a break for the last few days and uh, I know uh, uh, so the last few Sundays but I, I'm gonna I'm gonna utilize you today so I just want you to be aware of that at the end of this service we're gonna we're gonna have a time where we believe God together and uh, I want you to be ready to pray I want you through this process of a message as a prayer team to begin to ask God to infuse you with faith to pray with other people for what they are believing God for Ephesians 1 17 Paul says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. For us who what? believe. That power, to those of us who believe, is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Two weeks ago, I talked to you about mission. We took seven keys from the life of Moses that showed us how to stay on mission for God. We talked about how that Moses' life mission was given to him by God, his assignment from God, his mission was to get these people into the promised land. And so Moses' personal dreams and visions and ambitions died in order that he could recalibrate his life around the mission of God. Last week, we talked to you about vision, about how a vision or a clear picture of the preferred future is the fuel to the mission of God in our life. Moses knew what his mission was from God. Get these people to the promised land. But the fuel to that mission was a clear picture of a preferred future. When God called Moses in Exodus chapter number 3, he stood in stark contrast to Egypt's slavery and gave Moses a picture of a land that was good and plentiful, he said. A land that pl- flowed with milk and honey. So when God called Moses, he gave him a vision, a clear picture of a preferred future that would be the fuel for Moses's mission. And then later in life in Deuteronomy 34, where we read last week, as Moses was about to die, he was preaching his farewell message and God in those moments took him up to Mount Nebo. And though Moses would not be able to physically go into the promised land, he showed him the vast expanse and Moses' eyes finally saw the reality of that vision he got way back in Exodus chapter 3 when he was first called of God. So it was a vision that sustained sustained Moses in life and it was a vision that sustained Moses in death the mission of God and then is fueled by the vision of God a clear picture of a preferred future we said last week proverbs 19 and 18 where there is no prophetic vision 
The people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. The prophetic vision is a word from the mouth of God. That's what it means. Without a word from God, your life will fall into utter chaos. Without a word from God, our church will fall into utter chaos. Without a word from God that gives us a vision as a nation, our society will fall into utter chaos. And we are seeing that in our own nation as America has refused to live by the prophetic revelation from the mouth of God. Belief is the glue that holds it all together. Mission is an assignment from God. Vision is what fuels the mission of God in our life. But belief is the glue that holds it all together. As Christians, we believe some pretty incredible things. And that's why I want to talk to you this morning about belief. Subtitle, I guess you could say, is can you believe what we believe? I know Christians from various stripes that disagree on a lot of things, but in Orthodox Christianity, there are some amazing tenets of faith that most of us truly believe. We believe them and accept them without even really thinking about them. Stop for a moment. I want us to act like we were outsiders, had no clue about the belief system of Orthodox Christianity, and take a look at some of the fresh tenets of faith that we hold dear. We believe, especially from an outside glance, some pretty outlandish things. Number one, we believe that God created the world. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We actually believed that he stepped out on no place reached into nothing, grabbed nothing, threw nothing across nowhere, told it to stay there, and it did. Something out of nothing, all by the power of the words that were spoken from his mouth? That's pretty amazing. Number two, we believe that God is the author of his holy word. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scripture is God-breathed, And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Like a father who takes the hand of his young child that is learning to write and the father places his larger hand over the smaller hand of his own child and guides the little author as he or she writes, the big author expresses his intent and heart through the personality and limitations of the little author. God used dozens of writers over thousands of years to compile a book to tell his story, a book that is unlike any other in the world. We believe from Genesis to Revelation, we believe that it is inspired. We believe its words contain life. We believe that reading it, studying it, memorizing it, we believe that meditating on it actually changes people. We actually believe that a broken, desperate person in a hotel room can pull a Gideon's Bible from a nightstand and after reading from its life-giving pages, not only have their life for the here and now altered, but literally be transformed for eternity by believing what is written on its pages. Pastor Mike, will you hand me both of those really big books? This is a Bible. This is an anthology of American literature. And I picked this book up, which I have read volume after volume for work and school. And thank God school was starting tomorrow and not for me. (laughs) I'm done. (laughs) I, I, I picked these 
two books up today. And what is amazing is we have these two big, thick volumes. We actually believe this book has something this book doesn't. I mean, I mean, I can thumb through the pages here of what is contained in this Norton Anthology of American Literature. Thomas Morton's works are in here. Uh, there are works in here by Beverly Franklin. There are works in here by John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, Thomas Paine. There are works in here by um, Emerson and Thoreau. There are works in here uh, by Frederick Douglass. Works in here by Walt Whitman, uh, Emily Dickinson, people that are respected around the world for their literary genius, and yet we have the audacity to believe that what has been written in the pages by uneducated fishermen and carpenters changes people's lives, and Walt Whitman may inspire you, but can't change you. I mean, we believe that. All the literary genius of every culture and generation combined could not change a life. But one revelation from the word of God can change the course of history. That is an outlandish belief to think that this book is any different from this book. But we believe it and most of us have settled that issue. Number three, we believe that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. Matthew 1.23, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Just, you know, you're looking from the outside in. Think about that for a moment. We actually believe that a teenage Jewish girl turned up pregnant before marriage, told the world she never had any relations with a man and that God was the father. That's pretty out there. And yet... It's one of the core beliefs of Orthodox Christianity, and we celebrate it every Christmas like we really believe it. We believe that this baby was the Son of God. We believe He grew up as 100% man and 100% God. We believe He lived a sinless life. He never committed the slightest of one single sin. Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. And five, we, we believe that his sinless sacrifice on the cross was the only remedy for our sin disease as a human race. We believe his death gave us a chance at life. His death on the cross was the only act and he was the only one who could satisfy the righteous requirements of the Father. Thus we believe there is no other way to a relationship with God and therefore an eternity in heaven outside of Jesus. Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. That's a pretty narrow definition of salvation, but that's what we believe. We believe Jesus rose from the dead. Acts 10.41, He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. You get that? We believe that he was literally cold and lifeless for three days. And by some supernatural event on the first Easter morning, life entered his motionless body and he got up. Literally, physically, this formerly deceased man was all of a sudden alive. You really believe that? I mean, do you really believe that? 
I hope so because we believe that everything hinges on that empty tomb. Without a resurrection, there is no Christianity. Nothing Jesus ever said would be true if not validated by the resurrection. But if the resurrection did happen and the tomb is empty, every promise he made, everything he said is true. We actually believe that if someone walked into this room today having never heard or never understood the gospel or somebody had chosen to ignore the gospel or had even previously rejected the gospel, somebody who's, who's headed to an eternity without God could, we believe, at this very moment put their faith in Jesus and be changed like immediately. The addict, the prostitute, the politician, the factory worker transformed from death to life, changed because of believing in Jesus Christ. Romans 10 9 says if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved for it is with your heart you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture said anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Verse 13 for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Can you believe what we believe? Listen, let me do this. I so believe that. I just want to pause right right now. I'm not done. I'm just getting started. But I want to pause right now just in case somebody walked into this room. You've had enough information in the last 10 minutes to have your life revolutionized by the grace of God. If you'll only believe. Father, I just pause for a moment and pray. Somebody who has never heard or scoffed at or ignored or decided to do it their own way has walked into this room today and and, and without really knowing it has been confronted with the tenets of the Christian faith. More importantly, what it means to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. I pray today that something would be imparted to them to believe. That they would call upon you as Lord. That they would come back to you as a prodigal who has gone astray. Whatever their spiritual condition is. And through their belief in the written word of God. Through their confession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ today. As they put their trust in you. They will be changed. And today I ask it in Jesus name. Amen. I believe that. Now, those are some monster beliefs. It's no wonder the non-believing world thinks the church is absolutely crazy. And yet, as believers, we meet together every week because these truths have changed us. They have moved us toward obedience because we believe. Or do we really believe? And I ask that honestly. If we really believed those things, wouldn't we be living and stepping out as if they were true? Why is it that we too often have this theological faith, the kind of doctrinal statement faith, the Apostles' Creed or Nicene Creed kind of faith, some Christological, soteriological faith, and then display a midget, powerless God working within our church and our lives? By God's grace, most of us would die for what we say we believe. With a gun to our heads, we would probably take a bullet rather than deny Christ as our Lord and God the Father as the all-powerful, all-knowing, sovereign one of the universe. 
But if that's what we believe, why don't we believe God for the day-to-day stuff, the mundane stuff, the marriage stuff, the money stuff, the back pocket issues of life kind of stuff? Why can't we convert our outlandish beliefs and our long-held outlandish doctrines into everyday practical outlandish faith? You might be asking, okay, pastor, that's all challenging, but what does it have to do with the last two sermons? I mean, mission and vision. What does this belief thing have to do with that? And I'm, I'm really glad you asked. It's hugely critical. Because without belief, we will never man up to the mission of God like Moses did in our lives. Without belief... We will step up to the edge of a God-driven, God-dependent vision. And then we will back away in fear and go hide behind our pious doctrinal statements in corporate doubt. Without belief, nothing is possible. Last week I read a long list of things that we were dreaming for as a church. We will never see that dream statement become reality without belief. Without belief, we will never raise the rest of the finances and money necessary to pay off this new building, much less build out the master plan of what God has put on our heart. Without belief, we will never spiritually saturate this community. Without belief, we will never send the missionaries that God has placed on our heart. We will never plant the churches and and expand into the multi-sites and campuses that God has put on our heart. Without belief, none of this will ever happen. Without the simple, innocent belief, belief of a child in the mission of God and the specific prophetic vision he has uniquely given to our church it will be a bunch of noise about nothing and when we look at the challenges before us in our own lives and in our church and then look at us we're tempted to ask the question God what what do we ever have to offer to bring to the table that we could be a difference maker And I know that question has merit. But if we focus on the challenges before us and and, and our own inabilities, we miss one of the most liberating truths about our faith. Vision is realized not because of us, but because of the God who uses us. Look at the kind of people that God used throughout history to accomplish his mission. Noah was drunk, Jacob was a liar, Leah was ugly, Joseph was abused, Moses had a stuttering problem, Gideon was afraid, Samson was a womanizer, Rahab was a harlot, Jeremiah and Timothy were too young, David was a cheater and a murderer, Elijah was suicidal, Isaiah preached naked, yeah that's really in there, Jonah ran from God, Naomi was a widow, Job went bankrupt, Peter denied Christ, the disciples fell asleep while praying, Martha worried about everything, the Samaritan woman was divorced. More than once, Zacchaeus was too short, Paul was too religious, Timothy had an ulcer, and Lazarus was dead. That's not exactly the dean's list of potential candidates that you would think God would use to tell his story. How could he have used them? Because vision is realized not because of us, but because of the God who graciously chooses to use us. 
In the New Testament, Paul said it like this, Colossians 1.27. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. How can he use us? Christ in us. Jesus in you is the hope of how he can use you. Christ in you is not a lofty theology. It's a powerful reality. The mission of God in our world, the vision of God for your life and this church will not be accomplished because we get it all figured out, because we pick the right strategy or have the right program or hire the right staff. But it will happen when we finally believed that Christ lives in us, when we finally believed that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is dwelling on the inside of every one of us and the mission and the vision of God will be accomplished not because of who we are but because of whose we are and the fact that he lives in us Paul goes on to say in Galatians 2 20 in the first part of that verse I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me Friend, when you finally get this Christ in you thing and you let it sink in, it will shift your prayer life. Instead of praying, God, help me in my weakness, you will change your prayer life to Jesus, live through me. He, could, he, he resides in us so we can take his vision and let him make it a reality. He lives in us and wants to live through us so he can further his vision for his church. He does it. He provides it. And I think... There's a dimension that all of us need to add to our prayer lives as a people. Listen to this often quoted verse, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, but whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes, whoever believes, whoever believes, Believes. There's a lot writing on that statement, whoever believes. My prayer is, Lord, make us believe. That is my prayer, that this church, that this family of faith would take the Bible and not just listen to it, but would actually believe it. Make us believe. Because when the church does not believe, when the us is removed from that statement, it's just make believe. Many of us believe in Christ. We can recite a few powerful doctrines and quote a scripture or two to prove that we believe in Jesus. Believing in Jesus is one thing. But believing Jesus, believing what he said, taking him at his word is altogether different. We don't have an issue believing him theologically and mentally, but it's time to start believing him practically. My prayer is, God, make us believe. Because when you say, I believe Jesus, you go to the next level in your walk with him. When our church says, we believe Jesus, then the whole congregation goes to the next level to further the vision that God has placed on our heart. My prayer is, God, make us believe. 
It's no wonder the unbelieving world thinks Christianity is make-believe. They're asking themselves, where is the church? I'll tell you where we are. For the most part, many churches are in committee meetings arguing over the carpet color or splitting doctrinal hairs rather than pursuing and seeking and living supernatural vision through the power of Christ who lives in us. My prayer is, make us believe. Let the truth be real in our lives. Without belief, we cannot have vision. Unless we believe Jesus, we will never see beyond what is. We will never dream of what could be. I'm praying that we would not just believe in Jesus, but that we would believe Him. That we would take Him at His word, period. He made a lot of statements. But four of those statements I feel compelled to turn into a prayer. And I want you to join me in turning those four statements into a prayer. I pray that God will make us believe Jesus who said all things are possible. That's a sweet sounding bookmark or a good tagline on your Twitter profile. But... I wish the body of Christ, beginning with me, would start believing that all things are possible. If you look at the world, the word all in the Greek and study its origin and cross-reference it in the original language and really do a word study and etymology on that word all and you run it all the way back to the original languages, you know what it means? All. (laughs) Jesus said all. All things are possible. But the tragedy is we're not believing it. We take out all and say some things are possible. Most of us can't envision anything outside of what is prudent or practical. So naturally we are doing everything possible. But nothing is happening impossible. We, we do what seems logical. We do things in our own strength and in our own comfort zones. Things that the budget can handle. But I pray God will make us believe Jesus who said in Matthew 19. With man this is impossible. But with God all things are possible. I'm pleading with God. Second statement of Jesus. I'm pleading with God to make us believe. Jesus who said, ask and you will receive. I'm not talking about selfish prayers like, God, help me win American Idol or help me stumble onto a million dollars. On the other hand, I'm not talking about praying safe little no-risk prayers that we pray most of the time. It's time to get past that. We need to get into his word and pray his word. Because when you're praying his word, you're praying his will. And we need to pray audacious prayers that line up with his word. And so my prayer is, Lord, make us believe Jesus who said in Acts 16, 24, Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Thirdly, he said, I'm pleading with God. I'm praying That God will help us or make us believe Jesus who said, you will do greater things than these. Think of some of the things Jesus did. He fed 5,000 people, probably more than that. If they were just counting men, there would have been women and children. He turned water into wine. He healed a whole lot of people. He fed thousands who were desperate in listening to his message. And now the word tells us that the same spirit of God that was on him has lived inside of us. And though we struggle with sin and flesh, we have access 
access to that same resurrection power in us. And I think our problem is an arithmetic problem. We have a less than mentality instead of a greater than mentality. And we aren't comparing ourselves to Christ. We are comparing ourselves to the status quo. We are settling for the same size, the same stuff, the same approach, the same, the same, the same. And Jesus said we would do far more than that. He said we would do far more than him. And so my prayer is, Lord, make us believe Jesus who said, John 14, 12, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I go to my Father. And finally, I'm praying that God would make us believe Jesus who said, I am coming soon. I'm afraid we've lost that expectation altogether as a people. It's one of those truths that I speak about occasionally on Sundays. I like to talk about it. But besides something that we brush past on a sermon on Sundays, the rest of our 24-7 without any urgency of looking or any expectancy, without any sort of vision of His return, if the world events of the last few years have taught us anything, it should have taught us that history as we know it cannot continue as it is indefinitely. The world is on a course with destiny. In the blink of an eye, Christ could return as he promised. But too few of us had contemplated how the implications of that future event should be affecting our lives today. I wonder if we really believed it, what adjustments would be made in our life. So I am wholeheartedly asking God to make us believe Jesus who said in Revelation 22 12 look I am coming soon my reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done imagine with me can you fathom what would happen if we if the whole church really believed those four simple statements of Jesus where we didn't just believe in him but we believed him wasn't some theological assent, but it was, I'm going to take him at his word. What if we really believe that all things are possible? How big might we dream? God, could God free us from our addictions? Could he bring life to our families? Could he bring life to our workplaces? Could he bring life to our neighborhoods? How far out of the box might God take us with his vision and his possibilities if we believe? What if we really began to ask and praying fervently according to his will as it is revealed in scripture? What if we aligned his heart with what was true and seriously petitioned God to make that truth reality in our lives and the lives of those around us? Imagine if we really believe that we could do the things Christ did and even greater quantities because the same spirit that anointed him to do it was, was, was confined to wherever he was. But now because he's gone to the Father, he said, it is to your benefit that I go away because the spirit, the comforter will come and now the same power that empowered me will empower, to, empower you and now these same things can happen all around the world simultaneously as God uses you as a vessel. Imagine if we really believe we could do the things he did. How might that affect our vision? What possibilities would there be? Can you imagine 
how invigorated and empowered we would be as individuals and as a church if we really came to believe that our time on earth was short, that Jesus himself was coming back to establish his kingdom. We would shift our attention from programs and conferences and cantatas to reaching the lost and staying on mission. Lord, make us believe. Because if we don't believe, it's just make believe. If we only believe the things he has already told us are true, what freedom we could have if like Moses, we laid down our own personal goals and dreams and agendas and recalibrated our lives around the mission and the vision of God and allowed Christ to work through us as he sees fit for his glory. We could be transformed the world would be changed, literally turned upside down. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to believe. I'm ready to move from make-believe to, Lord, make us believe. I don't want to settle anymore. I don't want to just live life. I, don't, I want to believe that all things are possible, that my family can be saved, that my finances can be changed, that my influence can impact a high school campus, that my marriage can change, that my church can grow and explode and reach our community and touch the world for the glory of God. Don't get me wrong. There are days I get discouraged and the challenges seem bigger than the opportunities. I wrestle with belief just like anybody else does. And that's when I pray the desperate prayer of a father who brought his tormented son to Jesus. And in describing what the demonic spirits were doing to his son, he said in Mark 9, 24 or 9, 22, it is often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But Jesus, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I believe God is still answering that prayer today. And when the obstacles and the challenges and the realities drowned out my belief, I pray the prayer of that father. I believe. Help my unbelief. There's a measure in me, Lord, that believes. I believe all these doctrinal statements. I believe in you, but I want to believe you. I believe. I don't want to just have a theological assent to the virgin birth and the empty tomb and the anointed infallible word of God. Somehow, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help me transfer all of those theological assents into practical, everyday, outlandish faith. I love where we started today. That one statement of the apostle in Ephesians 1, 18 and 19. He said, and I pray this for all of us. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Now Lord, help us believe. Mission and vision 
is psychobabble and empty words if we don't believe it's just make believe so Lord make us believe help us dream again ask the what ifs just maybes perhaps questions what if God got involved here he could blow the budget out of the water what if this was a God idea the resources will come when we start doubting that thing you dropped in our hearts about heart for the house we want to give up because it seems so impossible make us believe today God for our marriages for our prodigal kids for our sick bodies for our financial situations just like we believe in a virgin birth and an anointed book and an empty tomb a sinless savior help us believe I really when I think about it from an outsider's perspective I didn't realize how outlandish it was and if I can believe those outlandish things help my unbelief help me appropriate that belief in the everyday faith As we pray this morning with our prayer team today, people trust you in faith. Would you respond to our belief? Save, heal, deliver, provide, restore. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me all over this place? Prayer team, would you make yourself available today? I really believe. God wants to honor his word today I believe he wants to honor your faith he wants to respond to our belief and so I'm going to ask you to act on it if you have an issue in life that you want us to believe together with you there's some power when we come together in the prayer of agreement if you if you were away from God you don't know Jesus when I paused a moment ago you something quickened in your heart you made Jesus Lord that I want you to come and let us believe with you that something started in your life fresh and new. Tell them, when pastor stopped in the middle of the sermon, I gave my heart to Jesus. I want you to let them know that. It's the greatest miracle we could ever believe for today is your salvation, your rededication. But today, don't walk out of this room in a hurry. Shift your doctrinal statements, belief, into an everyday practical belief. Think of the hardest thing you could ever imagine. And believe that all things are possible. I'm going to pray a blessing over you today like I do at the end of every service. And while I pray that blessing, before people head to the aisle, if you want us to believe with you today, I want you to step out while I speak the blessing today. And let's trust God for the miraculous to intervene in relationships and finances and family members. We're going to believe God with you today. I'm believing God for our church. But practically, I'm believing God with you today. And when I begin to speak this blessing before people file out of this building today, you want us to believe with you? We're here today. We're just going to believe with you. Father, I pray that you'll bless them and keep them. That you'll make your face shine down on them. That you'll be gracious to them. 
that you will turn your countenance their direction and that you will give them peace. And I pray, Lord Jesus, what the Father prayed. We believe, Lord, but will you help our unbelief? Quicken us. Awaken us on the inside. Make us believe. Let these altars be a place of miracles today. And this church be a place of miracles in the days ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. These altars are open. God bless you.